Welcome to Boomer and Senior Travel. I'm your host, Debbie Gerber. We are on a trip in Africa. Africa was a favorite. It was something on my mother-in-law's bucket list as well as ours. So we went in a family group. What a fabulous trip. Today I want to share with you some of the specific birds and animals and plant life that we saw on this trip. You'll see that we are dressed warm. It was so much fun to go together and see South Africa. We bundled up and went out to see the animals. We are on our last day in Kruger Park. I'd like to go through some of the birds that we saw. You know, a lot of people do the birding. They go on specific trips just to see birds. This one was for animals, birds, plant life. They were very good to stop and point out all of them or any of them to us that they saw or that, you know, we questioned or saw. The first one that I want to share with you, it is a shiny black, um, kind of black blue bird. Um, depending on the light, if it got in good sunlight, it was kind of blue and shimmery. It was one of the prettiest birds we saw just because of its glossiness and shiny. It was a very pretty bird. It is called a blue, a greater blue-eared starling. Greater blue-eared starling. And you can see, uh, if you look just right, that there's kind of a little blue, almost ear shape on its head. And that's where it gets its name from. Blue-eared starling has a very musical call and it nests in trees. It was a fairly common bird because we saw a lot of them. The next one we saw was a, the next one I want to share with you, we only saw one, and it was a red-billed hornbill. He was, or she, was quite a unique bird with this red, long-looking bill on the front of his face. He is a, I'm going to call it a he because it's easier for me, they go along the ground, and they run along the ground looking for food, and they forage for food. So they'll eat things like seeds and insects and uh, berries, grains. Some of the insects they'll eat are grasshoppers and ants and termites. They just they eat a lot of things that they find on the ground. Now, this is one of the most interesting birds that we heard about. This bird, when it goes to have its babies, it, the female goes and finds a crevice in a tree or a hole in a tree, and she goes in and she fills herself in, and she'll use mud and, dare I say, poop and leftover food stuff, and she'll mix it together, and she seals herself up in the tree. And then she leaves one little slit open where the male can come and feed her. And he comes and feeds her through that slit, and there she's in there, while she has her eggs and she nests and incubates and then the babies are born and um, she will stay there even after they're born for a while till they're old enough to come out. That's two to three months that she's holed up in this little hole, but it keeps them safe and then he feeds her. We saw two kinds of hornbills. The other one was a yellow-billed hornbill. Now, this one was kind of funny because the guides referred to it as a flying banana. You can kind of see where they might get that from. There's a great big yellow thing sticking off its face, almost looks like a banana. But it is a yellow-billed hornbill. Again, they're a lot like the red-billed hornbill. 
they forage on the ground, they eat insects, ooh, spiders and scorpions and termites and ants are their favorite in a dry season. They will find berries and fruits and grains, anything like that they can find on the ground. And they use their long, that long bill to dig around in the dirt uh, to get like beetles, things that would be down in the ground, ants, those kind of things. The really sad thing for me is they also will eat geckos if they can get a hold of them. So run little geckos, I love them. Uh, don't like people or predators for those ones. The last one I'm going to show you, we only again saw one of, and that was the red billed oxpecker. There were other oxpeckers, but this one we happened to see on the ground, got a quick shot of it. But usually where you'll see these is they are perched on the backs of animals. Oxpeckers, my grandson, like I told you in one of the last videos, have a symbiotic, symbiotic, no, I shouldn't even say it. Ah, my dog. <laughs> She's getting restless. She says, this is taking me too long. Anyway, they have a relationship with each other where the ox picker picks off the ticks and the larva off of the animal, and the animal then feeds the bird. So it's kind of a great relationship between the two. The ox picker will eat a good diet would maybe be about a 100 uh ticks in a day. They really like the blood-filled ones, you know, the ones that already have blood in them, because that's really what they're after. Although they will eat like up to, well, over a thousand larvae in a day would also be a good diet for one. But they like the blood. That's what they really, really like the best. So they will go after the little blood-filled ones, uh, ticks first, if they can find them. Uh, they also like the blood well enough that even though this is a good relationship between the animal and the ox pecker, they do sometimes cause harm to the animal because they like the blood. So if there's any open wounds or sores, they will pick at that as well. And then that leaves that sore or wound open longer and, you know, makes it more susceptible to infections or other insects and, that, and disease. And so, uh, you know, sometimes it's a good relationship. Sometimes there's a negative side to it. But you will see these birds and they... I don't know how they hang on, but they're perched on the backs and the necks and, you know, wherever of the animal. And as the animals move, they just cling on. They're like these little bobby things, and they just stay on it while it moves and just keep eating. So they, a lot of times you're going to see that, and now you'll know why there's a bird on the back of all these animals. Birds sitting on the backs of all these animals. I really like trees, and I always look for lone trees. I don't know why that is. I've always been fascinated by that. When I was younger, I used to make these cards and I would draw. It was a single tree with branches, but it would only have like one or two leaves. And it was always done just black and white. It was just a white paper with, you know, pencil drawings. And I would draw this tree that had these branches with like just one or two leaves on them, maybe one falling off. And then either a spider dangling from the branches or a mouse sitting at the base of the tree. I don't know why I did that. I just liked it. It just, I was drawn to that, and that's why I drew that on my card. But, so I still look for that. I will look for singular trees. I like, if I'm in a desert, I'll look for, you know, one of those big cactuses that's just sitting out there by itself. Or driving down the road, I'll see a singular tree and stop and take a picture of it, because it's just a single tree against the sky. 
Just love that. So here are a couple that I really like. This one is a, I don't know what kind of tree it is, but I'm going to call it a pod tree. It, it looks like it has these little pod bump things up and down all the branches. And it's just sticking way up. I just was fascinated by that. And then, of course, as you look across the landscape, there were several of just these single trees that were just standing there alone, you know, with the backdrop of the African uh, countryside behind it. So I enjoyed those kind of things. Now, we were introduced and shown a bush. They stopped and showed us this bush. This bush is a thorn bush. They think that this is similar to or the same kind of a bush that was used in the thorny crown that was put on Christ's head. Uh, and that, you know, that's what they told us. And so I took pictures of it, and it really is a very mean, nasty-looking tree. I would really not want to get, you know, be walking by and hit one of those branches because it was pretty nasty. But it was, it was kind of cool to see that, that bush. Let's go on to the, the deer and the antelope. The deer and the antelope, there was a lot of them. Uh, a couple of them were uh, kind of rare to see, but they were, you know, deer and antelope were always they're such graceful, beautiful animals that they're fun to see. One of the most common were the impala. The impala you could recognize right off the bat because they had three distinct black stripes down their butt. And so, you know, we'd take pictures of them walking down the street and stuff or from their rear end because that was really distinctive and interesting. As well as they had these horns that were like an S shape. And they looked like they had these little ridges that went around and up and up and up all the way around the, almost like a little spiral up their horns. And so I thought they were very interesting. You would see them crossing the roads and on the side of the roads and out in the field areas. And you'd see them even in with different animals. We even saw them, you know, standing behind some lions at one point. So that they have a lot of different areas that you're going to see those in. One of the very unique little deer that we only saw once, and the driver seemed to think that it was kind of a rarity to see that one, and it was called a dick-dick, D-I-K-D-I-K. Uh, they are a very small little deer. They have this little rump that sticks out and then the little legs that come down, tiny little face. Uh, little tufts of hair things that hide the horns up on top of little, little butt end horns, just tiny little things. So they were just darling, just a cute little deer. So we did get to see that now. As small as they were, they could make a very high, shrill call. So they, they're kind of, they can make their sound when they need to sound an alarm. The next one is a fallow deer. I think that's what this one was. I'm not sure. I know that they look more like the deer that we have in North America. Tan, kind of a brown, maybe a few little spots on its side. So this was one that we did see. We saw one in a an eating area just off the track where we stopped to eat, as well as one out in you know in the reserve. Yep. We are in Cougar National Park in South Africa. This is a fantastic place to see wildlife. We've been very fortunate this trip. So far we've seen four of the big five as well as a lot of other things. We've seen giraffe, we've seen elephant, we've seen hippo, hippos and rhinoceroses and 
The wildlife is really fun. We can see them eat and wander around their natural element. Um, this little guy behind me is just as cute as can be. He's having his Can't hear lunch. you. Um, this guy behind me is having his lunch. He's just as cute as can be. Uh, this is quite an experience. You should come to South Africa and see the animals. Have fun! Now one of my favorites, just because they're so distinctive and so different, was the kudu. The kudu is quite a large animal and to me it looked like somebody had dribbled something down its back and it rid just kind of run down its side, you know, part way. It also had a mane, almost like a horse on, on its back, except very short, and it kind of had a hump on its back. And then it had these beautiful horns that would twist. And when they get full grown, and it can take up to six years to get a full grown set of horns, they would twist two and a half to three times. Uh, by, it took about age two to get even a two twist in it, but some of them could get as many as three twists. They were, are hunted for their horns. They use them to make musical instruments out of, to make some containers, and then they're used in some ritual things as well. So they are a horn that is sought after. They have a very interesting style of communication. <laughs> it made me laugh. They grunt, they hum, they uh, cluck, and they oh, and they hum. That's the other one. Isn't that interesting way for a, an animal to communicate? So that's the way it communicates with those sounds. Oh, and I forgot these gasping sounds. Sounds like they're dying. They make these gasping sounds as well. Now the horns. Back to the horns. The horns. They rarely use them to fight with, and there's probably a reason for that. Um, a lot of they will find some dead. Like I said, it's rare. But if they happen to get those horns locked up with another kudu, the chances of getting them unlocked aren't as good, you know. So they they have found them dead with the horns still locked together. So it's a good thing that they rarely use them to fight with. Thanks for joining us at Boomer and Senior Travel TV. I've been your host, Debbie Gerber. Glad to have you with us. Come join us. Come visit our website. We are at www.boomerandseniortravel.tv. Go and get your free principal travel checklist so that you can be reminded of some of the things that I have come up with that I think make your travel easier and more enjoyable.